Hello. Happy New Year, Steve. Yes, we're back, aren't we? It feels like we've been away for a long time. Well, it might feel like you've been away. And welcome back to listeners of From the Clubhouse. I'm Tom Irwin. I'm joined as ever by Steve Carroll. And it's 2023. And all I've done, basically, Steve, since we last spoke is do podcasts. Yes, you have become some <laughs> omnipresent podcast voice of National Club Golfer, haven't you? Is there any pod- Is there any of our podcasts you're not involved in? Uh, I haven't done well. We haven't done a slam for ages, but I've def I've definitely done some all the gears. I can tell you that for nothing. Um, I don't know. Have you listened to any? Because it's it's been it's been a pretty full on um full on couple of weeks in our equipment vertical. We've had product launches for Ping, TaylorMade. It is in no particular order. Callaway, Cobra, and Strixon of all launch product since Christmas. I have listened to some of them. I'd like to vehemently disagree with certain staff members view on golf club pricing, but that's for another podcast, isn't it? Well, yeah, we're going to get into, we're going to get into green fee pricing today. It's probably one pricing debate is enough, isn't it, for any singular <laughs> podcast. Very um, true. But there is a lot of new gear. So I'd advise any listeners to go and have a look at our uh, Hannah Holden's YouTube channel where there's reviews of all the new drivers and irons. And there's an individual review of every single new product that's launched uh, on nationalclubgolfer.com. It's all pretty good stuff. Anyway, this podcast's not about golf equipment, is it? It's about absolutely golf. not. It's about absolutely club not. golf. Move on. Golf we've been playing and golf we're going to play. Golf you've been playing and golf you're going to play. So you have played a bit, have you? Yeah, I've actually played some golf. Um, there, are, regular listeners will have grown tired, I'm sure, of my weekly lament at not playing any golf. But I actually have played some, and at nice tracks as well. I played at Motown. I've played at Old Woodley, and I've played at my own. York Golf Club and it's been very pleasant. The go- my golf's not been great, but it's been very pleasant. I've made a New Year's resolution. I know, I know, but I've done one and it is to play more golf. Um, new Year, New Year. Well, well, yeah. I, I, so sort of, you're going to join play more golf? No, no. Um, I have a membership of a golf club already. It yeah. weighs significantly on my finances, but so I'm not going to join other flexible membership options. And people who know me well know that country memberships don't seem to last for me do they there's not there's not many places in the uk i haven't been a country member of so perhaps i should dial that back for a bit um but i find that when i get on the golf course when i actually get on a golf course for all my sort of grumps and grumbles about it it actually makes me happy well yeah that is that is a strange thing about it isn't it we do actually enjoy it um so i've barely played i'm sorry to say um i played in our uh work christmas foursomes which is pretty good don't know if you can remember that far back. Yes, because I played in it too. I can't remember much after the work Christmas foursomes that particular day. But um, <laughs> well, the, the, the less said about that, the better. Uh, but one thing, one thing on Old Woodley, like I, so I played with Old Woodley's pro John Green, um, who produced one of the finest displays of putting I think I have ever seen. It was on that day. On that yeah, day. it was 
unbelievable. I mean, like anything within 10 feet, he was just absolutely deadly. He didn't miss anything. Me and um, me and my partner, I think uh, we just stopped watching after a while. We just went, well, it's 10 feet. He's going to get this. Move on to the next tee. It's incredible so display. That is uncommon, I think, for Greeny. I think he's got a bit of a moody wand generally. His long game's very steady and sort of gets a bit twitchy. I, I enjoyed watching him produce a masterclass around the original Mackenzie. It was very good. Good good golfer. Good golfer. And Jack Backhouse was also in your group. He was terrible, was he? No, he was good as well. He was good as well. I mean we 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 were unfortunate that we sort of we we happened to have drawn the crack pair. We had eleven shots as well in foursomes, which I thought was going to be plenty. I thought that's a lot of shots. Um because you know my my handicap's eleven, but it's a bit bandity at the moment for various reasons. I'm a bit better than eleven. Can you say um, about yourself? Is that a, is that a thing? Well, it is really. I mean, it is. You you've played enough golf with me. I'm better than eleven. I'm just going through a bad time at the moment. Um, but I thought we'd be really competitive off that, um, and we got completely destroyed. Oh dear. Uh, and then I had one other game of golf over Christmas, which was my um, the second round of the winter foursomes, which was a disaster. We were Uh-oh. we were trying to pick it pick a day between uh, Christmas and New Year when the weather was good and we ended up with a day that was all frost greens um, played against Jimmy Gribben who I know listens to this podcast and um, we got absolutely th- well we didn't get trounced we did get trounced we we're never in the game it was we were giving seven shots on all frost greens so I could sit here and lament that and say how can you possibly compete but the fact of the matter is, we made a rubbish bogey ourselves on the six and lost that to a gross par. Uh, and then I knifed my gap wedge through the back of the par three seventh, which so that hole was halved in fives. Um, and then we ended up losing uh, one down. And um, they hold an amazing put on 16 and 17. So what a curmudgeon would say is that they had no right to hold these puts on 16 and 17. But I know full well that had we played the six and the seventh properly, the score would have been reversed despite their late, late heroics. So it's always your own fault, isn't it? That's the thing about golf. It's so easy to blame other people. But then when you actually think about it, you think, you know, a gap wedge off frozen turf. Yeah. Or were you hitting it off a mat? Uh, I was. Do you know what was happening? I'll tell you exactly what was happening. Jimmy and his partner were taking the Mickey out of my partner, um, and Jimmy was counting down from ten, which was like a joke about having to calm down because he was so annoyed that JT was taking the piss out of him. I thought he was counting down for ten because he thought I was taking too long, so I was all a fluster, thinking, "Why is he counting? What's he doing?" And then I, I mean, I barely hit this ball. I got properly the top of it. Went about 170 yards, and I once hit it 90. I'd love it, Jimmy. Proper match play tactics. Yeah, exactly. Seve, Seve would be proud. Yeah. But then you have to go and sit in the clubhouse with these people, don't you? Have a cup of tea and pretend with, it's all fine. With these people. These are some of your closest colleagues. Yeah, he's a good lad. Uh, anyway, that was my last game of golf, and that was on December the 28th. Uh, other than that, it's all been Turkey and then golf club reviews, basically. Yes, you have been a very, very busy boy. And we'll say it again. Please check out all those reviews uh, on YouTube and on National Club Golfer. There's <laughs> an inordinate amount of time been spent doing them and still doing them. So it'd be really yeah. nice if people if Actually people read them, read yeah. them begging over. Um, so 
we're into kind of um, planning golf season time, aren't we? We sort of yeah. get through Christmas and then you start to look forwards and you start to Google things like golf open competitions near me and you start to Google things like open venues and you start to plan trips to far-flung corners of the country. Uh, it's all very exciting and then you realise how much it's going to cost. And then it's not quite so exciting, it's very painful. It's not and then you have to do, and then you have to decide whether you're going to do it or not. And this is over and above the money you've already shelled out on green fees, which we did on uh, your membership fees, which we talked about last time. I paid mine, paid mine on time by ten hours, so I'm a fully paid up member of our Woodley again. Good but we'll presumably play some away golf. I guess sort of full disclosure: if you work in the golf industry, you tend there are a lot of perks, so you do tend to get a lot of complimentary golf here and there. Um, so perhaps not as sensitive to the price increases as others. And it's a huge privilege to be in an industry that affords that. Um, but this is a huge topic, isn't it? Um, yeah. So I, yeah. I'm a bit of a freak in the golf industry, as you know, because I actually pay still for quite a lot of my golf. Yeah. Um, I have a kind of uh, moral thing going on about it. I, that's not to disparage anyone else. It's just it's just my weird conscience where I sort of draw a very clear line between sort of work and play. Um, and if there's any play, I pay for it. So I'm very attuned to um, green fee pricing, visit the green fee pricing, because, you know, I've, my, my, my next trip is uh, East Lothian end of March. Um, three courses, hopefully four. Um, just a tad short of 500 quid playing off season obviously sorry going to east lothian what day uh i am going right between shoulder and peak so i'm going the 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 end of march march 31st april 1st april 2nd and what golf course are you playing i am playing north berwick kilspindy long nidri and hopefully i'll get a spin round musselburgh old as well on the saturday morning okay so some bucket list stuff. And there. have you played any of those places before? I've played North Berwick before, once, um, mm-hmm. sort of two or three years ago. Uh, the mate that um, we go on an annual golf trip every year, um, and the reason we the reason we choose this time of year is because it tends to be a bit better in the pocket. And obviously we'll get onto this in the discussion. Um, but he really wants to tick off North Berwick, so yeah, I mean, and you those, don't have to tell me to go back to North Berwick. And all those courses are no better or worse in this in the winter so you do right to get this time of year yeah exactly um, and, it, and it does make a massive difference in price i mean we're paying four seven five two nights in a hotel i imagine it would be a couple hundred quid more if we went peak summer uh yeah i mean i've i've played all those places quite a few times Killspindy's amazing have you been there no really looking forward to it hear lots of really cool quirky things about it so that's going to be excellent have- you'll just have a very very fun time i can't remember how long it is it's like five thousand yards or something perfect and then the first half a dozen particularly are just mint the turf's unbelievable they're right on the water it's brilliant it's a brilliant place so getting, getting back to the task at hand um around this time of year i usually start looking at green fee prices because i've either booked a trip or i'm looking at booking a trip and for some reason for the last two or three years i've tended to focus on the old course so I've looked at the old course green fee price for 2023 this year. I've written about it. You can read it on nationalclubgolfer.com. I think it's 295 um, for this year. 
And I compare that to, I always end up comparing it to when I played the old course myself and paid for it, which was in June 2021, and I paid £195. So obviously a £100 increase there, quite significant, quite significant. And it always leads me to wonder, not specifically for St Andrews, but for top 100 courses in general, for top UK courses, you know, can people afford to play them at these prices? So I did an entirely unscientific poll on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn, um, just asking people for their feeling about it really more than anything, because price is obviously subjective, isn't it? You know, um, for you know, some people's treasures, another person's two bob, isn't it? You know, it's it beauty is in the eye of the beholder and various other cliches. Um, so I did this uh, poll basically saying, can you afford to play at the UK's top golf courses? Got quite a lot of response for, you know, social media poll, 660 plus um, votes on Twitter. 83.7% said no, um, they couldn't afford to play at the UK's top golf courses. And then I went on to LinkedIn and I expected a slightly different response on LinkedIn um, because my network on there tends to be more affluent, more professional, people who work in the golf industry, um, people who have money. Um, and I asked the same question. Obviously, my, my network there is not as large, so a lot fewer votes, 86 votes, but 76% of people who responded to that said no. So the general feeling among people, and I, and I say it's a feeling, is that playing the UK's top golf courses is getting a bit out of reach. I was already out of reach. I probably should have put a third option into this poll, which was can afford it, but don't want to play it don't want to pay that money because a number of people who responded to me on Twitter said that they said, well, you know what, I, I can probably afford to play it, but to pay it, but I just don't want to. Um, I just don't want to spend that kind of money. And that gets into different questions, doesn't it? Against, you know, expense against life experience and stuff like that. You know, what are you prepared to pay for the experience that you're getting? But the general feeling to stop rambling is that people feel at least feel that getting to play the top UK golf courses is becoming a bit out of reach in terms of price. So just two things then, just sorry to make you repeat yourself. What was the the price increase on the old course that you've you mentioned right at the top? Uh, this year, yeah. I think it's I think it's £25. It's gone from 270 to 295 But I, I played it in June 2021. Funnily enough, I'd never played the old course before and I played it twice in the space of a month. Yeah. Uh, and I pay and I and I and in the in the spirit of openness, uh, it was a work thing the first time, and I had uh, I had a complimentary green fee. You were there as well. We were guests of Scottish Golf that day, and then I played it four weeks later. I was on a trip to St Andrews, and I paid the full green fee, and it was one nine five. Um, and I railed about this last year. I mean, there's there's no point in in disguising it. I I thought the price rise from one nine five to two seventy was chunky. To be fair, it was like nearly nearly forty percent, um, and it led me to ask whether I would actually pay that amount to play again. And now obviously we're at 295 and, you know, people can do their own comparisons out there and, you know, the old course still measures up quite well against its peers, you know, like Muirfield, like Royal Troon, uh, Turnbury, it's cheaper than all of those. Um, but I, I sort of thought now that I've, now that I've played it, would I pay just shy of 300 pounds to go around it again? And the answer is no. And what 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 irks is the wrong word, but what sort of pushes my buttons about this particular course compared to some others is it's like the one course, isn't it? We all grow up 
kind of hoping to play you know we, we get into golf we start playing golf courses and then you look immediately don't you towards the home of golf it's like and and you know the history of the of the whole place is that it's accessible if you go back like 600 years and the charter you know establishing the right of people of st andrews to to roam the links it, it sort of feels to me like if it becomes less accessible for people to play in terms of price is that not is that not a disappointing thing i know this yeah code but you is... are you are i mean you're a long way down an old course rabbit hole there aren't you about yeah the, yeah the, the sort of right of access to the home of golf which is supposed to be a public golf course um but i think that is a sort of case apart and we could probably get back into that in some in some detail i think as we go on but the sort of the the, the poll that you did was um can can you afford to play the UK's go- top golf courses? That was the question you asked. Yeah. And and the sort of thrust of this topic is, for want of a better expression, th- the price it co- of the top 100 golf courses in Britain or England or Scotland. Yeah. We're not talking about the price of golf um, at regular local golf courses that you can book no. on tee-off times. We're, we're saying what what is happening with pricing at um, the best golf courses, basically. So these are places that people may may play infrequently they might play um as part of a, a special birthday or for their big trip of the year or for the captain's day uh, or as part of a holiday as the sort of centerpiece of a holiday and we're, what we're seeing is that the prices of these places are increasing um, and we want to discuss whether that's taking that out of reach of people what the kind of story is behind those price increases and are there sort of ways around the price increases so you can still get access to these places that are being smart smart and I guess we'll also touch on is it sustainable um what you know what is going to happen over the next 12 months will people pay it um what do you well think summarized what what do you think is driving the price increases at these places I mean Covid will definitely have played its part and um, particularly for some of those Scottish courses they were just obliterated weren't they by Covid um and the essential banning of American visitors from coming over because you know we talk about uh, a course like North Berwick for example um where I'm going I mean obviously like a chunk of their trade is going to be international visitors isn't it I remember speaking to um Crail um at the height of Covid and you know they, he he was talking about travel operators that had just been smashed by this because the entire industry had just dropped off so there's obviously um there's obviously huge shortfalls there isn't there that people have to get back i suppose for 2023 pricing inflation is going to play a part isn't it we've had very low historic fl- inflation now we've got 11 percent inflation that is going to be reflected isn't it in prices this year tom you would have thought so. I mean, I mean, it's a tremendous thing to hide behind when you're negotiating, isn't it? Yeah. So if you were an advertiser in National Club Golfer and we were saying, what's our rates for next year? We'd be sort of sucking our breath in and saying, well, there's inflation. But at the end of the day, pricing is not index linked like that, is it? It's what people are willing to pay. Um, so I think, yes, there is inflation. And I think that a prudent golf club is going to be acknowledging that they're heating electricity bills and their fuel costs are increasing so the price you pay to access it has got to increase in some way shape or form but it also has it is um, demand driven isn't it so you can't can't price on you can't price entirely from um, the cost of living yeah and and the Um, point and i was going to make that point the point is you know you it's it's a it's part of business isn't it that you charge what people are prepared to pay i mean don't suppose 
you know a particular really top golf course necessarily i'm not sure i'm being fair here but you know is does a really top is a really top golf course massively interested in where their business comes from maybe you tell me but you know if the demand is there and people are prepared to pay the price then you charge that price wouldn't you whether it's people coming from england or whether it's people you know coming over from america there's there's lots of stereotypes and cliches isn't it about american visitors just being you know money bags and prepared to just basically drop their entire wallets and they don't care what the price is because golf in america is so expensive i sort of well, think that's sure. slightly I'm not, lazy but i'm not, you get I'm, what not I'm, sure. saying. I'm not sure it is a cliche actually but just to go back a step um because we are getting very excited here for some reason so that you mentioned north berwick there and you we also talked about the impact of covid um and you've done um a lot of research around this topic um, which I guess will be available on your social and on on the web piece that goes with this podcast there'll be some actual numbers for people to look at um so we are the there are there are definitely price increases um at lots and lots of places and most of them yeah um so I guess if we're looking at um if we're looking at some price increases over a five-year period. We did a big piece of research in 2018 um, around green fee prices in England particularly. Um, and there are some lumpy increases um, amongst those English courses. So I'm looking at this, Lytham's gone from 250 to 315, um, so a £65 increase. I can't quite work out the um, the percentage. Um, or Woodley, where I play, that's gone from 115 to 175 um west sussex has gone from 105 to 140 um so things are going up um woking's, yeah, so gone, from, what, woking's gone from 110 to 155 yeah, so, so just to put in there tom sorry yeah. tom just to put in there the these prices i know we'll get into cheaper variants later on but these prices are um hopefully i've got them correct i've basically done a lot of this work at speed so apologies <laughs> if there are any errors um but um these prices are summer weekend so the most expensive price yeah. that you can get on the golf course should really yeah. clarify that before you know because yeah. you know we'll get in, we might get into some of these and people say well you can play this course for 60 quid but yes you can but these are peak the most expensive prices yeah absolutely and those the numbers that i just reeled off there are increases from 2018 so that that is i guess a sort of pretty sensible spread from over a five-year period they're also english courses um they're perhaps not in in tourist destinations um, as some of the the very top top courses are. Um, so if we then sort of go back to the point about that you're making about North Berwick, um, and I guess the sort of trophy venues that are in tourist destinations. So there has been a real impact of COVID here. Um, so my understanding of that would be, if we go back to the COVID year, um, all travel was stopped. So Americans would have been booking onto places like County Down, Turnbury, Dornock, Portrush, um, Burtdale, North Berwick, uh, Carnoustie, I guess, Cruden Bay, Trump International, um, the Royals on the West Lancashire coast. Um, a lot of these places are, not reliant is the wrong word, but a lot of their income is coming from um, North American golfers coming over. Um, and, th and that all just stopped. So the money was taken for those bookings, presumably either the deposit or payment in full 
in 2019. COVID started at the start of the golf season in 2020 and no one came. Didn't that didn't rec- recommence in 2021 either. I mean, I went to St Andrews, as I said at the start in 2021, it was the emptiest I've ever seen it in the summer of 2021 because a lot of restrictions were still in place. So you've got bookings that are getting held over from 2020, held over into 2021 and presumably held over into 2022, Tom, as well. Absolutely. Um, so no one came in 2020 and then 2021 travel was still restricted. The golf clubs I spoke to in 2021 were saying mm, some people have come, but not loads. And there was a lot of um, a lot of doubt for those clubs at that point. So they didn't know whether people were coming or not. So it wasn't like they could all of a sudden have like a, a very targeted domestic campaign to attract local golfers or UK golfers who perhaps could go and play that because they, they to some extent they had to keep those tea times as booked because they, those people might come. Um, so then we're into uh, 2022 and Americans did start coming back. But this is people who are now honouring a booking that's two years old, right? Or three years old. Essentially, yeah, in some cases, yeah. yeah. So availability um, last year, as I understand it, at a lot of these top courses was basically zero. Um and that's flying over a tom into this year as well. I mean, I, I think um, I, I, looking at it now, I think I'm very, very lucky to get on North Berwick at the time that I did. I don't think they're taking bookings now for 2023. Apologise if I'm wrong. There'll, there'll be a, you know, I, I imagine I had a chat um, when I went up to when I went up to Royal Doorknock. I remember going up to Royal Doorknock like uh, in the winter of 2021, and you know the guys there basically saying we're hammered for 2020. Yeah, and I think that that is the case. I was at North Berwick um, in February last year um, for I went to watch the uh, Alcotta Cup and we played golf at um, North Berwick the day before and we had a coffee with the secretary and she there was no availability that year, none whatsoever. Um, and that is just amazing. And I think the, the same was true at places like Dornock and these are like real um, US tourist outposts. Um, so, so it's therefore no surprise that if you've got no availability, uh, your price goes up because if you, you know, if there are the odd tea time here and there, you want to maximise it, and you haven't actually been able to collect any new cash for two or three years in some cases. So the the price increase is justifiable. Um, I guess the question I keep asking myself is how long does this? Sorry, before we get into that, is what is then the impact of a full uh, North Berwick on Kill Spindy. What is the impact of a full Dornock on Golsby? What is the impact of a full um, Royal Burtdale on Southport and Ainsdale's pricing? And moreover, what is the, the a logjam in those traditional tourist destinations? What is the impact of no one being able to get a tea time in Lancashire on pricing in Yorkshire? Or what is the impact of no one would be able to get a tea time uh, on the Kent coast on pricing in Hampshire? Like there's there's a knock-on effect, isn't there, of yeah. prices going up and availability going down at the very very best golf courses on places ranked, let's say, 40 to 100. And and that's I think what we're seeing. I mean, assuming that my numbers are right, you know, you were talking about SNA there, um, the most expensive prices at SNA, you know, between 2018 and 2023, and the price is 100 pounds different. You know, that is um, phenomenal, isn't it? You know, West Lanks absolutely glorious track um will cost you at, at the peak time a shade under 200 pounds this year 
hillside is rocking up at 250. Sorry, hillside's 250. Yeah. Wow. Most Great expensive price. Great so, so this is this is where I this is when you know talking about the rabbit hole. This is where I start getting down it because I say, um, you know, if if term if Turnbury is out of reach for me, and let's be frank, you know, I wouldn't pay four hundred and seventy-five pounds to walk the Garden of Eden. Uh, never mind anywhere else. Um, I mean that that wow, that's like <laughs> nearly half my membership. Um, yeah. But you know, but then, but when those courses are setting that kind of price level, um, then obviously those courses that is just slightly beneath them. I, that sounds condescending. I apologise for that. That's not what I mean. Everyone knows what I mean. But those really amazing courses that are not Turnberry, you know, they'll put their prices up as well, and and that's and that's what we see. Um, so now suddenly it's not just it's not just the number one course or the number two course that we think, crikey, can I afford to really pay out that money? It's the number 60 course. It's the number 70 course that you start thinking, wow, that is a lot of cash. And, you know, I, I my big fear is that we we've been very, very lucky in the UK for for decades and decades that most of our courses, most of our really great courses are accessible. It's not the case in the United States. Everybody knows it. Um, but the courses that are accessible in the United States are completely out of people's reach. You know, like Pebble mm. Beach, I give the example of Pebble Beach, where it costs you a small fortune to go and play that because of the tie, various tie-ins you have to do around the resort as well. And so for the average person like me, I will never, ever go to Pebble Beach and play there, even if I lived in the United States. Too much money. Um and what I worry is that our, our really best courses will still be on the face of it, be accessible at peak times. But in reality, it'll just be the richest people that can afford to play it. We had a lot of Twitter comments from this poll and 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 some of them I agree with and some of them I don't agree with. And one of one of the uh, comments wasn't a paraphrasing here is, well, you know, you know, if you want to drive a Porsche, it costs you money, doesn't it? Uh, and and what I essentially said to that argument was, but I've never been able to afford a Porsche before, and I'll never be able, to, I'll never ever be able to have a Porsche, but I could play on a really really top golf course 20 years ago. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's a couple of things there. So first of all, obviously, what is too expensive is all relative to how much subjective. Your, yeah, yeah, how much you've got in your pocket in the first place. Um, I guess value is a slightly different argument. Um, but again, that is also subjective. Um, one of the things you mentioned there is um, a green fee of 475 quid or whatever you said to play um, Turnbury is, uh, I think you said it was half your membership fee. Just getting onto it, yeah. So there are some, there actually are some stats around that. I mean, obviously you, you're not a member at Turnbury, but um, do you know what the relation, the average relationship is between a green fee and a membership fee at a club? I do know, but you're gonna, you're gonna, but I can't recall it. It's supposed to be ten or fifteen times, isn't it, or something yeah, like I think, that? Yeah, I think it's fifteen times. Yeah. So I'm not even sure Turnbury have members. They might have some artisans, do they? Um, I think they do actually. Um, so in, that would mean that your fee at uh, Turnbury to be a member would need to be seven and a half grand, basically. They mused on that. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of like sideways head shaking is not here. good for podcast <laughs> no, no one can see it <laughs> um so 
what is the point we're making here? So what we I think what we're saying is that the pricing has um, has undoubtedly gone up. Um, we're saying that there's sort of two significant factors there. One is um, reduced supply because of COVID folding over bookings, and one is cost of living justification, inflation, index links pricing. Um, is there a third thing that golf courses are the best golf courses are for the first time starting to realise their their own value and it's been underpriced for a number of years? Probably there is that argument, isn't there? Um, I quite liked it the fact that that um, it was sensible in inverted commas, you know. Um, I quite I quite like it, but yeah, I suppose I, I suppose you could take that view. Like he says despondently um, oh. that the you know golf golf course golf I suppose in this country if you if you look at green fees probably has been historically cheap. People talk about playing the old course, don't they? Going back there for six shillings and bob or whatever it used to be in the 1960s, and um, you know I mean uh, was was sort of 65 pounds or 95 pounds or whatever it was you know a, a dozen years ago or 10 years ago or so too cheap for North Berwick probably given the class of the course and given the I feel like I'm contradicting my own argument here but yeah I suppose that I suppose you have to take that on board so if you I mean we can't right go through a history lesson can we but the the world is a more commercial place right yeah as in um there is just much more of an acknowledgement that having money is broadly seen as being positive right greed is good greed is good yeah so there's that um there's then uh and then so that mentality is um getting onto golf club committees and there's a sort of change in mindset about the purpose of running a golf club so private members clubs um historically have been i guess aiming to break even right so we want to keep bar prices down low for members. We want to try and keep membership fees as low as possible. And the, the sort of balancing act is how do we keep the facility providing what members want without breaking the bank so we can manage costs effectively? There's the weird thing, isn't there? Profit against surplus. I'm not sure yeah. private members clubs can make a profit, can they? I think they make a surplus that they, then, that they then have to reinvest back into the club, of course. Of course, yeah. So that, but that that surplus is how you reinvest it is entirely up to you, and you yeah. can be investing it in things that are going to um, help the golf club sustain itself in the future, i.e., property or land or whatever else. And you can obviously, probably more practically, reinvest in the facility, the golf course or the off course facility, in order that your experience is improving. You can charge more for green fee visitors. You can charge more for the membership, etc. And I suppose, Tom, as well, that at these very, very top golf courses, you know, there is an expectation of a customer experience now. Um, and if you've, I mean, if you've got a falling down clubhouse, none of these have anymore. But there, there, there has to be this constant reinvestment in capital projects, I suppose, as well, doesn't there? When you're at the very elite and they cut, that costs a lot of money now. Yeah. Um, so I think that there's that. And then I think there's the... The, the average age of a golfer is dropping and therefore the level of disposable income of a golfer is increasing. So if you're talking about golf predominantly being a game of retired people, um, as it has been for years and years and years and years and years, those people have got no income. So they have to watch what they're spending. Right. But now golf is much more 
played by people who are working. There's a bloated middle class. There's increased international travel. So people are coming or have been pre-COVID coming here in much more numbers than previously from the States, et cetera, et cetera. So that all drives price up, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so you can you can kind of see what why it's happening. Um, and it takes it out of the reach of more people. As is the case in very many other areas of life. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not suggesting for a moment that golf is a special case. I mean, this is this is the commercial reality of life. You know, as 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 the Porsche guy says, I can't I can't afford a Porsche. I can't even dream about one. Some courses are Porsches, aren't they? But what bothers me about it is they weren't always Porsches. <laughs> and there was, you know, at one, at one point they were larders. And, you know, the, the, I could go and drive that larder and expect to be able to do it again. And now even that is is starting to become out of reach. Like, I mean, that, I mean, that it, it is terrible, isn't it? Because you've, you've sort of... It, it, if you never had it, you're not going to miss it, right? So if you, and that is the case in America, you can't go and play Pine Valley. You couldn't play Pine Valley t- ten years ago. Yeah. You couldn't play it twenty years ago, and you still can't play it because it's a private members club. Here, we've always had this kind of like, uh, what's the word? We've had a, a glimpse at the, um, what's the word? I'm trying to think of a kind of, uh, what's the word? A There's a metaphor, isn't there, that you're looking for, um, which is vaguely in my head, but I can't. Can't get we can out sort of there see this. Moment. We can kind of see the top of the stocking, can't we? As in, like the, these places have always flirted with us a little bit. They've shown us a little bit of thigh and said, "Yeah, you can come here once a year if you want." And the thing is, you know, Tom, when you've had a scale electrics for Christmas one year, you don't want an orange the next year, do you? Well, exactly. Yeah. So I think that is that is perhaps closer to the um, the truth of it is that like why on earth are some of these places having visitors at all? Like what is going on here like that if 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 you cut and paste roll Dornick and put it in upstate new york you're not getting on there ever it's you're about 200 to, members playing i i fear you i feel you're about to expound on your great theory of golf that you <laughs> that you uh, that you think is going to come here in the next sort of decade or 15 years so i'm going to shut up now and i'm going to leave you the floor so you can it, it, you, so you can detail your policy manifesto well because i make this point i make, i mean i make this point all the time i think it's happening but i think it's happening by stealth so in america there i think there are about twelve and a half thousand golf courses right and of those twelve and a half thousand golf courses about two and a half thousand are private and about ten thousand are public and the difference between a private golf course and a public golf course is binary so at a private golf course, you can't go unless you're a member or a guest of a member. And at a public golf course, you can't be a member. So that's the difference, right? Yeah. In this country, there are about 2000 golf courses and there are about. Two. That are private. You, you mean in the most private sense of the words like your. I can think of two. I think I think I can think of two, possibly three, actually. Three golf courses where you can't pay a green fee. Yeah, I'm trying to think of them now. You can pay a green fee at Skibo, can't you? Yeah, you can pay a green fee at Skibo, yeah. And probably at Lot Lomond. Yeah, at Lot Lomond you can, yeah. I mean, it's very hard, isn't it? But you could probably do it. 
You can't play. You can't go to Beaverbrook. You can't go to Wentworth. I don't think. You can't go to Queenwood, and I don't think you can go to the Wisley. And I think that's about the size of it. Although I have been to the Wisley. Well, you can go to the Wisley, Steve. I'm surprised <laughs> you did because of your moral. <laughs> it was it the, the work the work play balance was met. Yeah. Anyway, the point is that in this in the in the UK we have this weird thing where golf clubs that say we're a private members clubs aren't a private members club. They're not at all. They're a, they're an absolute mishmash of su- some members and then and green fees. Yeah. So they've got this balance between saying we need to keep the membership fee accessible because the membership is the local population. There's only a limited number of rich people. We can't start charging the earth for our membership because it'll drive people away. It'll change the culture of the club. So we need to have green fees to sustain it. So we'll have to have golfers who can come and just pay a green fee. That annoys the members because a visitor and a member are not natural bedfellows at all. They've got very different demands. They both want access to the golf course at the same time. Both of them think they've got the right to have access to the golf course when they want it because they've paid one way or the other. Um, So I think you have this kind of very natural tension constantly between what is the club trying to do? Is it trying to serve its members or is it trying to attract green fees and create a great visitor experience and those two things are very different um, I think the places that manage that best in um, Great Britain and Ireland are places like County Down where they effectively have a visitor day or two visitor days five visitor days a week in fact where members just stay away and members golf um, happens on a Wednesday and a Saturday people travel down from Belfast where the majority of membership live golf is taken by the members on those two days the rest of it is basically just all green fees. Uh, it maximises the club in, in, income and it doesn't impact on one of the other's experience. They actually have two different clubhouses, a visitor clubhouse and a members clubhouse. Muirfield do something very similar where you can go and pay a green fee on visitor days, which are Tuesday and Thursday. You go and have the whole experience. I've been on those days and it is tremendous. Like The doors are open. There's no codes. Um, you sort of come and go as you please. And they just it's totally different from how it is on a members day. So the, these kind of places have sort of realised, I think, that you can't have the two things. So they basically split the week up and said, visitors come on these days, members come on these days. Very, very smart way of doing it, in my opinion. Um, like, without getting into too prosaic matters, there is just nothing worse, is there? If you're a member of a club and you nick out for your after-work holes on a summer's evening and you get stuck behind a four-ball of visitors that takes six hours and you end up only able to play seven holes, it drives you mad. Yeah, um, so I think that um, I think the direction of travel and I think that independent golfer feeds into this is that we will end up with courses that are entirely pay and play and courses that are entirely private members clubs. Um, in the states where the relationship is um, broadly five to one, um, so there are twelve and a half thousand clubs, two and a half thousand of which are private is roughly the maths, which I think is five to one. Um, if you worked on a similar um, number here, it means you'd end up with 400 clubs that are private members clubs and about 2,000, which are, sorry, about 1,600 or slightly more, which are pay and play. I don't like the way that's sounding. It's a long way <laughs> up the food. It's a long way up the food chain, isn't it? Well, that's basically all the best clubs going private, isn't it? Um, never to be, never to have their doors darkened again. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I see your point. I think it's an entirely logical argument. I think my 
reservation of it be becoming a, a reality in the UK is that uh, a lot of members clubs actually rely on one of the reasons that visitor fees are chunky is they actually rely on those fees to subsidize the membership um, and so if you have an in, in, entirely private golf course then golf club sorry they're not and with no visitors and no visitor income um, when a lot of these golf clubs are basically balancing on getting quite a lot of visitor income then who's going to pay the shortfall if you have no visitors then it's going to be the members isn't it um, and, you know, and even at those really top courses, you know, like you, you, you talk about Muirfield, you know, a, a decent proportion of Muirfield's account sheet will be visitor fees because they are a premier course. They are able to charge an elite fee. So, you know, if you've got everyone who comes in paying 350, I don't know what it is at Muirfield. I, I can look at it, look it up. But, um, you know, paying paying a substantial proportion of money, you take that away because you essentially say we're going entirely private. That's Maybe there's an argument about the demographic of their membership they could afford it, but but you t- but you take my general point, right? I do, and I, so I think that the economics of it, and I don't think it, the economics of it are difficult. Like I think you can make the money if you're a golf course, any which way around you want. Like if you're if you're a good golf course, you can either say it's ten grand a year to be a member here, no visitors, and you'll be able to raise enough ten grand, or you can say we're going to have membership at two grand, but if you want to come and pay a green fee, it's five hundred quid, and you'll. <laughs> You'll, and you'll raise the money. You can definitely manage your balance sheet and sorry your P and L, but what you can't do is preserve the club. And I think that is the the big thing that you're going to change. So there's there's two things here: is pricing driving people away from paying green fees at top level clubs? Possibly. Will mem- uh, what about membership fees at those clubs driving away the local membership? That's the that's the that's the bigger concern for me is that you you want local people to be able to join their local golf club regardless of how prestigious it is um, and that's the thing that needs protecting because that is protecting the essence of the club yeah we we have there's one sort of major area of this we haven't discussed yet um while i've been railing on about uh increased fees at top 100 golf courses and it is that if you have some flexibility within your schedule then you don't you don't necessarily have to pay 475 pounds that i talked about to play uh to play you know turnbury in the middle of summer um you can play a very much more re- well much more reasonable price i suppose um if you're prepared to go in the winter if you're prepared to go in the shoulder season and that is almost that is the case almost for every single course on this list um you know if you're prepared to if you're prepared to be flexible about your time you can play a lot cheaper it's why i'm playing north berwick at the end of march let's be honest um because my package deal is in is in is not in peak season so i'm able to get a better rate i I can't remember off the top of my head what it was but i think the old course if you prepare to pay it in like december january is like one three five something like that um which is obviously a significant markdown on on the um on the peak season price and for those courses that have advantages of land um you know where they are links courses in particular i mean there'll be plenty of people who will argue that if you get a nice day in early february then the quality of the course and the quality of the turf can be it can be just as good experience in february as it can in the middle of july um so i think it wouldn't it wouldn't be fair in a debate about the price of the uk's top golf courses that we didn't at least acknowledge that that, that it is possible if you are prepared to be flexible um, to play nearly all of these courses on the list at significant discounts 
um, outside of peak season. Um, I'd quite like to go and play them in the middle of July and August, I suppose, or of a weekend. That would be, that'd be lovely. But but there are other options there, and it, we should at least recognise that. And I think I think that's fair enough. Like as in, I would I think there's there's that is that is a getting into kind of a supply and demand pricing model, isn't it? And we we yeah. sort of talked about this in the preamble. So golf clubs have had this sort of rigid. Um, this is our summer rate. This is our summer weekend rate. This is our shoulder rate. This is our winter rate. Um, and that's how they do it. And they set those that pricing a year in advance because that's when people start to plan their trips. Um, in anything else, it's way more sophisticated, isn't it? So if you're going to go and book a hotel room, if the if no one else has booked a hotel room, it's cheaper. If everyone's yeah. booked one, it's more expensive. Same. It's the airline debate, isn't it? Yeah. So I think. Um, I think what you're saying is, uh, yeah, I think that is that is a perfectly valid way of doing it. The other thing I would say is that I'm not sure there's anything wrong with that, as in that there are precedents for that in other sports. So if I think about, um, I'm a Manchester United fan. I said I'm a Manchester United, everyone's gone. <laughs> you can say it now because we're crap. So it's not it's not like that anymore. I thought you were on the rise now. I thought Ten Hag was anyway. We are, yeah. Anyway, I'm a Manchester United fan. I've got a season ticket, um, which has been utterly pointless in the last few years, but it is now becoming um, valuable because it's harder to get a ticket. So if if you want to go and watch Man U Man City, which I'm going to do tomorrow, you can't get a ticket unless you're a season ticket holder, right? Or a member. Yeah. Um, And that's kind of how it should be. It's the biggest game of the season. So the people who are the loyalist, if you like, um, get to turn up for the biggest game of the season. We had a Carabao Cup game um, in midweek, which is a season ticket holder you're not obliged to buy. Um, I'm flying solo with my kids this week, so I didn't buy a ticket. So if you're someone who is a more infrequent visitor to Old Trafford, if you're a more casual fan, you can get a ticket for your Carabao Cup game. You've been to a game um, and you tick the box, right? And that is a very similar thing to going to play a golf course out of season. You're not getting the full experience. It's not the biggest game of the season, but you're getting the idea, aren't you? Yeah. Dynamic, flexible pricing, Tom. You didn't like that analogy, did you? you I did like the analogy, well. actually. It had me in deep thought, which is why I was, which is why I was not as coming back immediately as you might have expected me to, because I wondered whether you could extend that, um, you know, like on a on a week by week basis. A green, you know, a club's got. I suppose that this is what quotes hot deals does um, for normal golf courses, doesn't it? On things like golf now. You know where mm-hmm. they've got flexible availability, they can they can discount the price. Um, oh, yeah, we're never going to get into discounting of the top courses, and there's a an entirely different rabbit hole, isn't there, about the influence of discounted green fee prices? But anyway, I do get your argument. I think I think it, so, it is thought provoking. So I think to kind of wrap this up, because we've been going for a long time, haven't we? I think. It's it's undeniable, isn't it, that uh, golf courses are moving, golf course pricing in the top 100 clubs are moving out of reach of more and more people. Um, My two sort of challenges to that are, one, is that a problem? And how is that any different from anything else? Two, do you think it'll sustain? And I think that is where we should probably conclude our debate and talk about that is because 
the the factors that we've talked about that have driven up pricing covid and um cost of living right so what happens after this year yeah i i my, i'm a, a listen i'm a romantic hopelessly and there is a feeling within me that the uk golf culture is on dreams can come true when it comes to playing the uk's top golf courses you know the idea that i can go and play muirfield is accessible to me i might never do it but it is there there is the possibility that i could go and tread that famous turf where all these opens have been won and um i worry that if you get to a point where people think that they're being ripped off i'm not saying that that's what golf clubs are doing i'm saying if, if that's what people feel is happening then in the end golf as a whole is going to suffer about suffer for it a because our local markets are going to feel that it's unattainable it's unaffordable or it's not worth it and b that you know whatever happens if we have another situation that robs golf clubs of their american international visitors it's all I, fine and well and good while these people are coming over and prepared to dump their wallets but what, what what if they can't then what do you do yeah yeah i totally agree and that that to me is the nervousness is that everyone's ramped their prices up because demand's increased and availability's gone down um how how long does that last is, is my big question and the second thing is um we are beating around the head with um, inclusivity and uh, golf is a game for everybody arguments. It's not a great headline, is it, when the home of golf is whatever it is, 400 quid around. Yeah. And when the top courses get out of reach for us, then the middle courses are getting out of reach as well because they're all following the top courses because that's how pricing works, isn't it? Yeah. You know, as as prices, if you charge X amount for a top car, then the middling cars get more expensive as well because they can afford to be. Yeah, yeah. But this is, I think, I mean, getting into like the branding of golf, but golf is desperate to say it's a sport for everyone. It's an yeah. everyman game. And then I just don't think it backs it up. And uh, perhaps the, the, the starkest indictment of that is the cost of it. It will be a sad day if we get to a point where we say, I'd love to go and play on the old course, but I can't anymore because it's too expensive. I just can't afford it. Isn't that a sad day? It is, yeah. It is. Anyway, next week, Steve, I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to Orlando to the PGA show. I'm playing Sawgrass for free. So there we go. I'm speechless, Tom. If you want to, <laughs> to play the top genuinely... golf courses, get yourself a job in the golf industry. That is the message of this podcast. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Right, I've got to go. I've got to go. I'm about I'm hours late for me to get my kids to school. Yeah, and um, but as we always say, um, thanks for listening. We will see you next week, even if Tom has to dial in from Sawgrass itself. Um, yeah. Please subscribe to all of our other podcasts. There are loads up there at the moment. You can get really deep into everything that's going on in the equipment industry. And as we said at the preamble, there is a lot going on in the equipment industry. Yeah. Check out all the gear. Uh, please subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Hannah Holden, NCG. Lots of great equipment videos going on there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye, Steve. Cheers, Tom.